Joseph, and this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show is on the air. I am your host, Grant Bills. 580 AM, 96.7 FM, or streaming live at WKTYsports.com. However you're listening, wherever you're listening. Hope you're having a killer Tuesday, and thanks for making the Wisco Sports Show part of your afternoon, evening. Hope you're having a good one. We had a rough weekend, as we talked about yesterday, right? Packers lose, Brewers lose two out of three, the Badgers lose in a game that they had no business losing. And last night, at least for Brewers fans, maybe some of you Packers fans out there, you cheer for the Cubs, or you just don't have an interest in baseball, and I'm sorry if that's the case, because you missed out on a good one last night, and it kind of got me revitalized. It's like, all right, something positive, something to cheer about, and last night's game was a whole lot of fun. You heard the start last night right here on WKTY after I wrapped up, just shortly after 6 o'clock. The Brewers get the 8-0 to win over the Cincinnati Reds, but that's not the half of it, and we'll dig into all of that coming up here in a minute. Later on in the show, about 5.30, we're going to be joined by Radio Joe Zenzola. You know him as the executive producer of The Bill Michaels Show, which, of course, you hear every day right here on WKTY. We're going to talk a little Badgers. He was at the game on Saturday, and uh, if, if we couldn't get any more negative, talking about Clay Matthews, Aaron Rodgers, and Packers-Vikings tying yesterday, we got to dig into the Badgers, don't we? They fall to unranked BYU on Saturday, and we'll get the, uh, I don't want to say insider perspective, but the perspective from someone who was at the game, covering the game. So yeah, I guess, you know what, Joe, you are an insider. We're going to get the insider perspective coming up at 5.30. I also want to address a couple uh, bits of news and, and details about the Clay Matthews uh, hit, roughing the passer call, uh, as Tom Pelissero on the NFL Network addressed it yesterday. We didn't have time to get to it on the show. I'm not going to rant about it. I'm not going to be mad, but I think we can have a couple laughs, as it's pretty entertaining. So that's what we're going to wrap the show up with today, so make sure... You're staying tuned in. You really have no no reason missing anything today. But, of course, we got to talk about last night's Brewer game. I said the score was 8-0, to but that wasn't the half of it. Christian Yelich hitting for the cycle and only taking four at-bats to do it, by the way. First four at-bats, knocked them all down. I believe it went single, double, home run, triple, although that's really not what's important. Uh, as the Brewers smoke the Reds 8-0 to behind Wade Miley, he gets the win. Moving to 5-2 and two on the year. Wade Miley's been really, really good. Uh, going five scoreless, striking out a couple, uh, and no walks to boot as well. So he looked great. A lot to dig in, and it's funny because I was I was talking to my roommates earlier today, and, and I was thinking about, other than just the, the phenomenal performance from Christian Yelich, and he's been stacking success not only against the Reds, but the entire second half of the year, and I want to talk about that in a second. But last night, I'm sitting down, and I'm watching the game. I had Monday Night Football on as well. I was watching the Brewers on my laptop, and I'm on Twitter, and there's a little bit of a delay Right. Uh, if you stream the game on, on Fox Sports Go, maybe some of you watch the Brewer games on your computer or on your phone on the Fox Sports Go app, which is really slick. There's a little bit of a delay, right? So I'm on Twitter at the same time, and, and I'm seeing Yelich is a triple away from the cycle. I was like, oh, gosh. There's no way he does it again. And I'm watching my computer, and, and I'm thinking, gosh, Christian Yelich is a couple weeks ago. He's, seen, he's done something that I've only seen just a handful of times, and it's done kind of by random dudes, right? I, I think... Uh, was it George Kataris or Mike Rivera? One of the backup catchers or, or backup players did it. I suppose I could have looked that up. Maybe I'll look that up on the next break. I believe Jody Garrett did it as well. It's never been done by superstars for the Brewers. I said, there's no way Yelich is going to do this again, right? Absolutely no. Come on. Yelich into the gap, right center. Keep on running, Christian. In the score is scope. Yelich is going to turn and burn. Throw to the 
the plate. Scopey safe. It's a triple. And it's a cycle for Yelich. So what's fascinating about this, it wasn't just last night's cycle. And a cycle is cool in and of itself. But when you think about it, anybody can hit a cycle. I'm not taking away from it at all, but it's kind of a random, involves a little bit of luck. You know, things just have to go your way. So the fact that he did it twice in in nearly three weeks here and twice against the same team is absurd in and of itself. But if you dig into the stats of Christian Yelich, not only in the second half, because we know they're they're superb and he has fought himself right up into the uh, the NL MVP conversation alongside uh, Javi Baez, not only has the second half been tremendous, but against the Cincinnati Reds, he's been a one-man wrecking crew. And you got to feel for the Reds because last year was Eric Thames, right? Single-handedly beating the Reds. And I think what happened, we, we all saw Michael Kendricks got busted for insider trading. Uh, the, the, the NFL linebacker, who I believe is with the Seahawks. Yeah, with the Seahawks. What happened was Eric Thames was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. He owned him last year and a little bit into this year as well. And he sold all his stock to Christian Yelich, especially for the second half of the season. Listen to these stats. I didn't know this until today. I didn't even think about this. I was blown away. Christian Yelich against the Reds this season. 500 batting average, 24 for 48, with seven home runs and 17 RBIs, along with a pair, not just one, a pair of cycles, both coming in the second half of the year within a span of two or three weeks. Just wild what Christian Yelich has been able to do. And today, of of course, and I think rightfully so, I don't think it's unfair, the, the conversation has been dominated by Christian Yelich should be the MVP or at least be in the, the MVP conversation. Look, I'm not in the camp that I think he deserves the MVP. I don't really know. I think over the next couple of weeks, I think it'll be very telling between Javier Baez and Christian Yelich who becomes the MVP. But I, I see news sources, especially Chicago news sources on Twitter, being so dismissive. Javier Baez is the MVP, plain and simple, end of story. And I think at the midway point in the season, you can make that case. But I think that's not only disrespectful, but I think it's a little bit ignorant. And I think it's very dismissive of a guy who's been straight up out of this atmosphere in the second half, which is par for the course for Cub, for some Cubs fans. And I know a lot of Cubs fans, including Cubs fans that work right here in this building. A DJ over on 95.7 The Rock, I was talking to him the other day, could not stop singing the praise of Christian Yelich. So if you hear Cubs fans say Javi Baez is the MVP and it shouldn't be close... He doesn't watch the games. And if he does watch the Cubs games, they're the only MLB games that he's watching or she is watching and paying attention to. Because to dismiss Christian Yelich's MVP case in favor of only Javier Baez is ridiculous. The things that he has been doing in the second half have just been absolutely absurd. absurd. And it's not just the cycles. Cycles do have a bit of novelty in them. I'm not going to lie. A little bit of luck. But to put yourself in a position to get two cycles in a season let alone one cycle at all, is something telling. In the second half, or not in the second half, this is from Mike Vassallo yesterday, in terms of starting to build a case for different players to the MVP. This is Christian Yelich, currently leading the National League in OPS, which is on-base plus slugging percentage, two of the more important stats combined, and slugging percentage, and is among the leaders in average, of which right now he sits in second place, runs scored, he's in third ba- third place, which not only means he's getting on base, but he's also running the bases well and scoring runs. Total bases, which is fourth with 305. Hits, he's fifth. Extra base hits, he's sixth. Oh, on base percentage, he is seventh. RBIs, he's tied for seventh. And home runs, he's tied for 10th with 31. That's absurd. Not only hitting a lot of home runs, not only stealing a lot of bases, but he's all across the board 
Now, he's not top five in every category. He's not top three in every category. But to just be up there in every single category, I think, shows uh, how, how tremendous of a player he has been, especially in that second half. Remember, he was an all-star in the first half? That Christian Yelich, I don't even remember that Christian Yelich. This is a different Christian Yelich. And he was an all-star. I, I, I just think that's hilarious. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. If you want to chime in via the phone or via the text, I'd love to chat with you, talk Brewers, uh, Brewers Reds, the division race, the MVP conversation, whatever you want to chat about, I'm open to it, and let's uh, let's get to work talking about it. Uh, you can also reach the program on Twitter, at WKTY, or you can reach my personal Twitter account, at KeystrokerGrant, shoot me a tweet, or throw me a follow if you're interested to see what I'm doing on Twitter, not only during the show, uh, but during the games and, and in between shows as well. When we come back, I, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to keep the Brewers chatter going for another segment or two before we talk to Joe Zanzola around 5.30. Maybe not all of you saw this. I didn't see it until this morning. I had a busy night. I had a lot of homework to do. I was watching Monday Night Football as well. But my fantasy game came down to the wire, so I was focusing on that. But a pretty cool scene last night in the Brewers locker room with a young fan and the baseball that he caught, which marked Christian Yelich's second cycle uh, in just about as many weeks. A pretty cool interaction. And by the way, I didn't mention this, but on top of his stati- his statistics and his flash that he's shown with his cycles and with his home run hitting power, Christian Yelich all, all, also has become my mother's favorite player. Yeah, and that's not easily done. It was J.J. Hardy for a long time, and I don't know if she has had one since then. So that's quite the accomplishment. Officially, Christian Yelich, my mother's official favorite Brewer player, which has not happened in a long time. So congratulations to Christian Yelich for that. And I think due, in, due to, in part, his personality and what you're going to hear coming up uh, that transpired last night in the Brewers locker room with a young fan. So we're going to hear from that. I also want to talk about, an, not necessarily an unsung hero, but definitely a key piece who's been coming off the bench for the Brewers who wasn't even on the uh, on the big league club for most of this year. Some very fascinating statistics and some very cool words from the skipper as well regarding this player. We'll talk about that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for making my show a part of your Tuesday afternoon. I'm having a blast and feel much better than yesterday, if you cannot tell. We are going to address the Clay Matthews and the roughing the pass or the whole NFL situation at the end of the show. So maybe I'll get fired up again. But right now I'm feeling good. We're talking Brewers, and we're going to talk some Badgers coming up here in about 10 minutes with Joe Zenzola, executive producer of the Bill Michaels Show, which of course you hear every day here on WKTY in the afternoon. I want to talk about Christian Yelich just a little bit more. I mentioned that he is uh, he is now my mother's favorite player, which has been announced, by the way. I think the last time my mother said she had a favorite Brewers player, J.J. Hardy, maybe Craig Craig Council, actually, always said he, he seemed like a good Christian man. So that's why she loved uh, Craig Council, which no surprise that that is translated to Christian Yelich. Maybe it's the name, but a really cool scene last night in the locker room between Yelich and the fan that I believe caught his home run ball, which was obviously an instrumental part in Christian Yelich's second cycle uh, in just about as many weeks. Now, it's tough to hear the exchange between Yelich and this fan, but strain hard, I'll turn it up loud, and you can hear this uh, this locker room conversation. What's up, dude? How's it going? I'm Christian. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Nice catch tonight. Thank you. I appreciate it. What's your name? Michael. Michael? Yeah. It's great to meet you, man. I really appreciate it. Have a good time tonight? Yeah. 
Right on, man. Me too. <laughs> did you play ball? Mm, I did, but you the did? season's over now. Okay. What position did you play? I played right field and second base. Right on, man. Me too. Back in the day, I played in the infield and uh, they moved me to outfield once I uh, came back to pro ball. <laughs> cool for trade? Trade a bat for the ball? Yeah. All right. Appreciate your shot. Thank you. Christian Yelich in a really cool scene last night in the uh, in the in the locker room with a fan who caught that home run ball actually introduced himself, which I thought was hilarious. I thought it was really hilarious. Yeah, obviously he knows who you are. My my name's Christian. Yeah, the kid looked a little scared too, which was kind of funny. But I think as the conversation went on, he became a little bit more comfortable uh, around an MLB, a current MLB superstar. Interaction with a fan aside, I think we have to start calling it is we have to start calling. Like it is. And last night I saw a tweet that I thought was very accurate. It was retweeted by Tom Hodricourt, but it was actually, if I can find it here, it didn't come from Tom uh, Tom Hodricourt himself. It came from, I have it written down. Well, maybe I don't. I'll get that for you coming up. But uh came from uh, a, an analyst off Sirius XM, whose name currently escapes me. But he is the superstar in the MLB with the best and most friendly contract. Christian Yelich is a superstar, and they have him under club control, which was part of the magic of David Stern's trade. I know they gave up a ton, and we're not discounting that at all. They gave up a ton, agreed. But they got what they thought they were getting, and that was a budding superstar at age 26 or 27. And under club control, and for a very good deal for a couple of years. And to a market like Milwaukee, that is very, very important. Superstar with the best contract in baseball, and that's calling it like it is. That's that's basically uh, the situation that Brewers have found themselves in with Christian Yelich. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. For those of you who want to chime in with some Christian Yelich love or thoughts about the Brewers, you can also tweet at the program at WKTY or at me, at Keystroker Grant. Any way you want to get in touch with the show or with me, we can talk about it on the air for sure. Before we get to Radio Joe Zenzola, Coming up here in about uh, in about 10 minutes, I wanted to share something pretty cool that I read last night. The piece is from The Athletic by Brewers beat writer Robert Murray. And it's the piece is about a player that you might have forgotten about midway through the season. I think I did too. I'm guilty there. But has made a name for himself in a different way than he did last year. That's Domingo Santana. Spent most of the year in AAA over in Colorado Springs, which is tough. Domingo Santana hit 30-plus home runs last year and was part of a team that Dang made the playoffs. Some say should have made the playoffs. Obviously built relationships with the coaches and with all the players as he was a, an instrumental piece on what was the revitalization and the end of the rebuild last year for the Milwaukee Brewers, right? Those relationships don't just end. He was kind of the odd man out when, of course, they traded for Christian Yelich. They bring in Lorenzo Cain on that big free agent deal. Obviously, Ryan Braun is around. You have other talented players like Keon Broxton. Now they bring in... Curtis Granderson, but with the rosters expanding in September, Domingo Santana has had his opportunity mostly as a pinch hitter, although that could change should there be a need for an outfielder because he has been smashing the ball all over the ballpark, specifically out of the ballpark at Miller Park. In the second half of the season, and Domingo Santana has got an opportunity to come on. By the way, all these statistics and quotes are from Robert Murray's athletic article. And by the way, just a side note, if you're looking to subscribe to any sports service, The Athletic is tremendous, and they've been doing tremendous things the last couple of weeks and months, adding uh, Michael Cohen from PackersNews.com, adding Jesse Temple to cover the Badgers, who was originally with the Land of Ten. His stuff is tremendous, uh, as is Robert Murray, a young guy who's really, 
really doing some good work at the athletic for the Brewers. This is some of the some of the things he compiled. Uh, not trying to put it randomly, but some interesting tidbits about Domingo Santana, who's kind of revitalized himself here since the September call-ups have happening have happened. Revitalized himself as a, a home run masher off the bench, which the Brewers you can never have enough of. In the second half of the season, Santana has bounced back since returning to the majors. He's batting 462, 6 of 13. Now, most of those at-bats have been pinch hits. 462, 6 for 13, and pinch hitting is tough. It's tough. I, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite players used to be, you remember Joe Ingles and Narichka Aoki? Brewers, they were Brewers players five-plus years ago, and they were guys who understood what it took to be a pinch hitter. Some batters need to be in the lineup a couple times every day. They need to, to get in a routine. They can't be start, stop, start, stop, have a day off here, play three days in a row. It's an art. of Being a, a good pinch hitter is an art, and not everybody can do it. And, and Domingo Santana really reinventing himself, kind of out of necessity, here in these past couple of weeks, as he has been added to this roster since it, it has expanded. One of the big parts, uh, and you have noticed it as Brewers fans, not only... Uh, noticed by Robert Murray, who is the, the the author of this article, but Craig Council as well. His strikeouts are down. He's been attacking pitchers early on in at-bats. It's a good way to combat strikeouts. If you're having strikeout problems, being aggressive early and often, most of the time you're going to get better pitches early on in an at-bat rather than waiting for the pitcher to get ahead, get in the driver's seat, and then unload the junk. Right? It's just common sense. Domingo Santana cut down on his patience at the plate and has been attacking pitchers early and often. And according to Craig Council, this is a direct quote, he's been an aggressive version of himself. You stay yourself, but you just be a little bit more aggressive. Domingo Santana really didn't change up his swing, really didn't change up his stance, didn't change up a whole lot. He's just being more aggressive. And that's paid dividends here in September. He's batting 462, like I said, 6 for 13. Almost all of those at-bats, although I'm not 100% sure coming, by the way, of the pinch hit later on in games. Council continued to say he has owned it and done a really good job. I'm really proud of him. It's not an easy job for anybody. It's not something he's done a lot. He's been very effective and helped us in that role. And in September and in the playoffs, you need guys like that. You need guys to call off the bench late in games who aren't, you know, waiver wire additions. Nothing against Brad Miller, Tyler Saladino. Last year, uh, uh, excuse me for not remembering his name right away with the glasses, Eric Sogard. Those guys are great to have on your team. But in September, when you're pushing for a pennant or a wild card and trying to win playoff games... You need guys to bring off the bench who are just as good, if sometimes not better, than the people they're pinch hitting for. And Domingo Santana could be one of those bats down the line. They've added a couple players like that. Curtis Granderson, another great example, although he's been getting starts here and there. Mike Moustakis and Travis Shaw, for the most part, play the same position. So they're one of those bats is going to be able to be brought off the bench. The Brewers have got a stable of pinch hitters and guys they can call on late in games. And the revitalization... And reinvention of Domingo Santana here in September is only going to help that. And I'm excited because Domingo's such a likable guy. He was such a fan favorite last year, especially was what he was able to do on Sundays. He was a home run machine. He hit 30-plus last year. And in September, he's really reinvented himself as a pinch hitter. And, and that's probably the best way, in the best case, he's going to make for himself to be included on that 25-man playoff roster if and when the time comes. Brewers have outfielders. Kane and Yelich are starting in playoff games. Barring injuries, those guys are starting, which leaves only one other spot, which you really like to be Ryan Braun with his postseason experience, although, you know, few and far between. He's a veteran in this league. He's seen a lot of pitches, played in a lot of stadiums. He's a guy you like out on the field. In a one-game playoff, it would be hard-pressed 
for Yelich, Kane, and Braun to not be your starting outfielders, which is makes it really hard for guys like Domingo Santana, Curtis Granderson, Keon Broxton to be on the roster at only 25 positions available. But if he can hit off the bench, especially with the clip he has been, He's a tough guy. Tough guy to leave off that roster for sure. A really cool article by Robert Murray. I'm going to retweet it on my uh, Twitter account if you want to go over it at more length. My Twitter is at KeystrokerGrant, and you should definitely check that article out. And if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, you definitely should. There's some really, really great stuff on there and a lot of great writers. Not only up-and-comers, but established guys, like I said, like Jesse Temple, Michael Cohen, who've been doing a lot of great work with their teams for a long time. So check out The Athletic. And you can read the full uh, the full article there on my Twitter page, at Keystroker Grant. I wish we had all show to talk about Domingo Santana, but he, because it is a really good, feel-good story. But we have to move on. When we come back, we're finally going to dig into the Badgers' loss on Saturday. As frustrating as it was, we're finally going to get into it. And Radio Joe Zanzola is going to join the program. Executive producer of the Bill Michaels Show. We're going to talk to him as he was at Camp Randall for all three games. Get his perspective and his opinions now as the Badgers' priorities and goals possibly change because that loss is very meaningful. We'll talk about that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show with me, your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on with me, your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY, and I hate to wrap up the Brewers talk. I was actually really enjoying myself today, which was nice. After yesterday, there wasn't a whole lot to be happy about. And speaking of... Unfortunately, not being happy. We got Radio Joe on the line to talk about the Badgers' loss. He was he has been at all the home games so far. Joe, I think it's been since the beginning of Brewers' season since we talked. How was the summer? Summer has been good. Hard to believe fall is right around the corner, but they say it might be a warm fall. So hopefully we can cross our fingers across the uh, great state of Wisconsin, Grant. Of course, it was cold and rainy here today, so I guess that's left to be seen. It was. It looked nice at Camp Randall on Saturday. I, I want to ask you, before we actually dig into the game, going into the season, what were your expectations for the Badgers? I know a lot of the players had the, the expectation of a, of a college football playoff berth. And that was kind of the that was the benchmark that was set. What were your expectations individually? Well, I was not willing to jump on the college football playoff bandwagon, and I understand that you know the Badgers had you know a heck of a year last year, and it was it was a season that you know you have to ask yourself could it be topped? Well, going into this season, the biggest concern I had was you lost seven key contributors on defense; they're all gone. So how am I supposed to sit here and say that the defense, which saved you in a lot of games last season, played out of their minds, was one of the top defenses nationally? How can a team try to recover from that? You know, the, the, the only simple answer to that is the offense. Like, you're expecting the offense to take another step forward, that Alex Hornerberg's going to minimize his mistakes. You've got a stellar receiving core to throw to. You have a Heisman candidate and Jonathan Taylor. You have one of the best offensive lines. So the question was, could this offense pick up uh, some of the slack that the defense was going to leave behind? But I wasn't, I wasn't ready to sit there and say that this team is final four material because I don't know what this defense is going to be made of. And we also have to hope that this offense does live up to the expectations. And now here we are. And the Badgers have lost their first game, and now all of a sudden, college football playoff, probably out the window. Yeah, I know you're you're of the more cautious type before you buy into anything, and I, I'm kind of the same way. I just had a lot of question marks about this team, and, and it was 
fun to imagine maybe a college football playoff berth. But I needed to see a little bit, and I wasn't exactly blown away in, in the non-conference season. I don't think anybody was blown away. After non-conference, as we go into Big Ten play, how have your expectations changed? I've heard some people, uh, even on your station, saying, well, now I, I don't really care. They're just background noise for my Saturday afternoon. What, what is, how has your opinion and your expectations changed after Saturday's loss? Well, I, I think right now this is a team that can still have a good year can still get to the Big Ten Championship, could still win the Big Ten Championship, could still play in a New Year's Six Bowl. But this this was under the assumption that the Badgers essentially went out, maybe take one more loss, but you're going to have to have some signature wins. And that starts with Iowa this week. I mean, if you can knock off Iowa on the road, that's a big win, and that will help you a little bit. You're going to have big games coming up against Michigan and Penn State on the road. You can win those kind of matchups, that will go a long way. That will get your season back on track. That will let you garner more national respect. And if BYU continues to win, now they're you know ranked 25th. If they continue to win, that loss now doesn't look as bad for the Badgers. Um, I, I still think good things can happen. You know, I was you know talking to players after the game. You got guys like Dakota Dixon uh, coming out and saying, "Yeah, you know, our goals are are still there." And my question is, what are those goals? I'd like to think that one of the goals is to win a Big Ten championship because you've lost three straight years going there. I think that's the first goal. And then if you can get into whatever great bowl game it is, you know, fine. But I think that's what the key thing is, and that is certainly feasible. But, again, it starts with this Iowa game. And if they lose to Iowa, this is going to be a much longer season than I think many Badger fans were hoping for, and it could very well happen. Iowa will be a tough matchup. No, Iowa's going to be a tough nut to crack. Joe Zanzola joining us on the Wisco Sports Show, and I think success this season is defined by what you think of a New Year's Six Bowl game and what you think of a Big Ten Championship loss, because there's people who, if you're not in the college football playoff, and I know I've heard it both from fans and from media members, who, who consider bowls exhibition games. I don't really consider it that, but you have to take into account that Everybody has a different opinion of success in college football, correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, I'm one of those guys, you know, media guy, but also a fan. I love the Wisconsin Badgers. Absolutely. I've grown up watching the Badgers. I've always been a big fan. The one thing I've learned over the last 10 years is you just have to accept the fact that the Badgers will probably never, you know, be that national national championship caliber team every single year. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. it, last season was their best shot at getting there, and they weren't able to close the door in the Big Ten championship game. I, I, I've just come to the realization that if you have a really good year, if you can win the Big Ten title, those things are very feasible. From there, who knows? A lot of it can be dictated on what some of these other top-tier teams do across college football. And a lot of times, you can't always get what you want, so you're probably not going to get into the Final Four, and instead you're going to take um, still a pretty significant bowl game, but not national championship. And I'll, so for me, I'm fine with that. For me, winning the Orange Bowl last year was still a pretty big feat, and you beat a team in Miami, which was essentially a home game for them. I mean, that, that's a big win for the program. You know, if you continue to face quality opponents in those bowl games and beat them, I think that's huge. Now, the only thing that can maybe help the Badgers in years to come, we know Paul Chris probably isn't going to be going anywhere, and we've seen the recruiting class now get stronger. The guys that they're bringing in uh, for next year's recruiting class are supposed to be pretty big. 
So maybe there's hope that if you develop these kids the right way with the potential that they already have, that maybe we can have this conversation maybe in two, three, four years. Maybe they can be national championship caliber again. But, I mean, I've just, I've just accepted the fact that we cannot expect Wisconsin Badgers to be this Alabama or this Clemson or this Georgia. We, we can't expect that every single season. There's a lot that needs to happen, and it's just the fact of the matter. I think a lot of Badgers fans as well, they don't expect it every year, but every, every once in a while when the schedule comes together and the schedule's favorable and they have seniors who are peaking at the right time, you just want them to have one year every once in a while, like we saw back in 2015 or 14 with the Wisconsin basketball team. Like that was a perfect chance. And, and they, they got there, they didn't finish it. But I think we can, we can hope and we can expect Wisconsin every once in a while to have one of those years. You mentioned the 2019 recruiting class, Graham Mertz and, and the rest of those players who are coming in. I'm incredibly excited. He looks to be the replacement, although he's not even here yet, uh, for Alex Hornibrook. I know you've defended Alex Hornibrook before and, and preached patience about him. What are your thoughts? Three non-conference games into uh, to, to his season. What are your thoughts on him so far? Well, I I went off on him today on the Bill Michaels show because as much as I defend him, you know, last year was, I think, a big growing period for him because despite the boneheaded mistakes, he did have a good season. If you take away the interceptions, if you take away half of his interceptions and just look at the numbers, look at the completion percentage, look at his effectiveness on third downs, he has been very good. And... People don't want to look at that. People want to ignore that. People just want to look at the picks. People just want to say that this guy's garbage, he sucks, whatever. What I was hoping for in the first three games here of this season was another step forward, minimizing the mistakes, making some more big-time plays. You have an arsenal of receivers. Use them. And we saw a breakout uh, performance from A.J. Taylor last week, which was really encouraging. But Alex Hornibrook really hasn't wowed anyone yet. And then going into his BYU game, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He was making boneheaded mistakes. That boneheaded interception with the linebacker underneath, how do you not see him? How, why are you even making that throw? I mean, why contest that? It, it didn't make any sense to me. The play on fourth down. Who is he throwing to? He's throwing a missile over the middle of the field. I see two receivers but neither one of them are close to the football. What, how, why was he making that throw? I mean, he, he didn't even remember that play in the press conference when they asked him about it. I, the thing is, as much as there's good things coming from Alex Hornibrook, the biggest thing going into the season was, could he stop the boneheaded mistakes? And we're seeing it again, and we're seeing it against non-conference teams. The Badgers had no reason to lose to BYU last week. They, no reason at all. And... Your defense essentially did its job in the second half. You wanted a little burst from the offense, and you didn't get it. The run game was stopped, and the passing game, with Alex Turnerbrook in this position, he got, he's getting protection, protection all day from his line, and he still couldn't make big plays when it really mattered the most. Another quick quick example yeah. just came off the top of my head was the free play <laughs> on the final drive. What is he thinking? I was going to bring look, that up. I, 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 Grant, I don't know if you have seen tape or like gone back. I was on the field when that play happened. I wasn't sure if a receiver just darted down the field, if a coach was yelling at him to go because they had a free play. But if you're Hornibrook and you're scrambling, I'm certain he had to know that there were too many guys on the field and he was getting a free play. He had to have seen the flag. 
Okay, if I'm Alex Hornibrook, instead of trying to throw it to a guy in the flat, can we just throw it up in the air downfield and see what happens? I mean, I, I don't... But I, I don't know, man. I guess just... I can hear the frustration. Done. When, when, when we're all sitting there, we're all watching the game, and we're all screaming at the TV, telling them to do it, maybe it's a little bit different in the moment. I know he's not Aaron Rodgers, but for crying out loud, man... It, that was that was a chance to really take the cake and, and get out of there with a win. They, they, God, they needed that, and it just killed them. It killed them. Well, the one thing that Alex Hornberg isn't afraid to do is throw interceptions, and when he had a play where he was basically immune to throwing an interception, he chose to check it down, and I think all I could do is laugh about it because he looked awkward rolling out. The, the whole play just looked ugly. Joe Zola joining us for a couple more minutes uh, here on the Wisco Sports Show, and I think I got him riled up now. While we're on the, uh, the subject of... Of older players, I wanted to ask you about Dakota Dixon, TJ Edwards, all those older players on the defense. I figured that we would see them show up in that game and see one of those players make a play. Uh, I was told before this season by Joel Klatt from Fox Sports and others that TJ Edwards was supposed to be one of the best defenders in college football this year, and I still believe it. But where were those guys in the second half? Wait, nobody forced a turnover. Nobody stepped up to make a flashy play. I was just hoping to see something out of one of those few seniors on the team. Yeah, I mean, it's. You know, Dakota Dixon admitted it. Um, and which play was it again? There, there was a big play. Oh, uh, the, the the double pass that BYU had that fooled everyone, where yep. Magnum uh, hit like throws a lateral back to his running back, and then the running back throws it to a wide open receiver for a touchdown. You know, Dixon completely misread everything there, and he he said it after the game. He took full responsibility. Like he just that was a poor read on his part. And, you know, I, I, I know guys like Dakota Dixon are going to clean that up. Um, you know, Edwards and Connolly have been effective, I think, in the first couple of games. But the one thing is, I, I don't want to put it on them, per yeah. se. It, you're, you're asking a lot of the younger guys to step up and make plays. And I, I think we've seen some of the younger guys force some turnovers. We've seen an interception from Madison Cohn. We've seen a fumble recovery from Caden Lyles. We've seen Scott Nelson come up with some really big plays, both, you know, um, you know, when it comes to just reading where the ball's going and making a big hit or He's getting big. a big-time interception. Um, you know, the younger guys are making plays, but the one thing that's missing about this young defense, there's no, there's no nasty. There's no, as we've seen with past defenses, you know, there is a nasty to them. There, there is a, you know, offenses have to be intimidated by what they're going to be throwing at them. And right now, that has not been established. And, you know, should you maybe put that on T.J. Edwards, Connolly, Dixon, you know, those guys to kind of, you know, lead the way with that? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, but I, I think right now you've lost so many so many of your veterans on that defense, it's just it's hard to rely on those guys to just do everything out there. And that's why the younger guys have to go out there and make plays. And we've seen a little bit of that so far, but it, it hasn't been all that impressive. I, I, I think that the defense has done good things. They made stops, for example, in that BYU game. It, you know, it was the offense that just wouldn't come through and wouldn't pull away. Um and now they're going to be really tested against Iowa and how they're going to deal with guys like Nate Stanley. Um, we'll, we shall see. I, I wanna, I'd like to see more big-time plays from the veterans, but at the end of the day, your young guys, too, are going to have to make plays.
Yeah, I agree, and it's been frustrating. Joe, and I'm sorry if I ruined your night. I hope you're going to be able to sleep tonight, but I I certainly appreciate you taking a couple minutes to revisit that painful loss from last Saturday. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is about Hornibrook. I want to make this point, too. When he has the opportunity, he's scrambling out of the pocket, and he's got room to run. Run! Sometimes I think that guy is afraid to run with the football. I mean, you remember that third down play where he he needed two yards. He had a blocker in front of him to help him, and he couldn't do it. Hornibrook, come on, man. No, it's it's frustrating. I don't defend him so much. (laughs) <laughs> well, you have you've laid it out there for him a couple times in the past few years that I've heard. Uh, I can't imagine uh, what else has been said when I haven't been listening to. So, Joe, thank you for joining us. It sounded painful, but I'm but I'm glad you trooped through it, and, and I appreciate the time. I prediction: I say the Badgers somehow, some way, get out of Iowa with a win. It's going to be close Ooh. on Saturday. It's going to be a great game. But I I think the Badgers are going to respond. I really do. I, I think they'll they'll rebound as well. I look forward to it. I'm not going to be at the game, uh, but I'm going to watch it on Saturday night just nervous as heck because if they lose two weeks in a row, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for sure. Yep, could be a long season, Grant. Thank thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Joe, you have a good one, and, and as always, I, I appreciate the time. Radio Joe Zenzola, executive producer of the Bill Michaels Show, and we got him riled up. Didn't take a whole lot. Just It was like flashbacks. It's like PTSD from Camp Randall last Saturday with Joe. Uh, we got one more segment coming up. We got a couple of things to cover in terms of Clay Matthews and the NFL. And some interesting things came out yesterday. I didn't have a chance to cover it on the show. But I want to share a couple things with you. I'm not mad. I'm not mad because it's out of our control. We're not going to rant. We're not going to yell. It's out of our control. But we can laugh. We can be entertained together by what Tom Pelissero had to say. Uh, and uh, basically, he was echoing what the NFL had already said yesterday night about the roughing the passer penalties and what we could see going forward. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY with me, your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for making me a part of your day. It's starting to be a whole lot of fun here on WKTY, and I am having a blast. Hope you are as well. Before we wrap up the show today, I want to talk one more time about uh, about Clay Matthews. And, and Eric Hendricks and others. It's not just Clay Matthews. This isn't driving the conversation. But obviously when you have one play like that, which uh, I hate to say decides a game, but you take that penalty out, the, the reality is the end of the game is different. Let's just leave it there. Um, this is what Tom Pelissero had to say yesterday regarding the NFL. This isn't Tom, Tom Pelissero is just a reporter, uh, I believe, for NFL Network. So he's just reporting what the NFL released yesterday to the dismay and the disappointment of, I'm sure, not only Packers fans, but fans across the NFL for all teams. I am told the NFL is actually going to include footage of that Clay Matthews hit on a teaching tape that it distributes next week to clubs, showing that this particular technique, the scoop and pull technique, as they call it, is in fact a foul. Similar infraction called in the second quarter of that game on Vikings linebacker Eric Kendricks. There's a lot of different things in the roughing the passer rule that are outlawed, including intimidating acts like stuffing the passer into the ground. Well, what the league wants to reiterate is the scoop and pull, and that is grabbing a passer from behind by the leg or legs, scooping and pulling in an upward motion is considered to be a foul. Oh, God. I, it's it's almost comical. Like some of the phrases that he uses, and this is why you can tell and how you can tell that the NFL is making this up as they go. Because instead of saying, all right, 
we've probably overdone it with roughing the passer. Let's dial it back a little bit. It was our mistake. We're going to adjust and we'll re-release. They're going to say, no, no, the official got it right because this is uh, the, the, the scoop and pull. This is, this is, this is a foul. No, he got it right. And it's been in the rule book the whole time. We're actually going to release it this week. The scoop and pull is the foul. Scoop and pull. Yeah. Actually, um, the whole time, uh, it's very dangerous. The, the grabbing of the legs or the behind, uh, the helmet's been outlawed. The feet and knees have been outlawed. But now the, the legs, uh, it's just, it's, it's too rough. And the scoop and pull is going to be outlawed scoop from the NFL. Scoop and pull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's phrases like this. It's, it's how you can tell that they're making it up. Scoop and pull. Full body weight. You heard him also say uh, intimidating acts like stuffing the passer into the ground have also been outlawed. Intimidating acts. Intimidating acts. God forbid. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't. It's a good thing the show ends in two minutes because I can't do this. Intimidating acts. God forbid. Hey, pass rushers, knock it off. Because God forbid there's an ounce of fear put in that quarterback via an intimidating act. Intimidating acts. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And I know, Scrady, if you've been listening to Mornings with Dave and Scrady, you've got a big dose of exactly how Scrady feels about this whole scenario. I don't want football to be violent. I don't want it to be dangerous. I think I'm I'm with the players in the fact that they just want to play football. And sometimes in football, it's a physical game. People get hurt. That's the way things go. I'm not with people like Andrew Sandehu, Sandehu, Sandeho, excuse me, I, I mispronounced it wrong twice, Football doesn't need to be violent. It doesn't need to be more dangerous than it needs to be. It just needs to be the sport that it was designed to be. And there's risk involved. And if you've heard the NFL players talk about it, they understand that. They do. They want to be able to play football. I think they're with rules for protecting the head and trying to drown out concussions and needless hits and dirty hits. But (laughs) intimidating acts. Intimidating acts. We. I don't know what to say. And and least of which, if not if not most of which, the most intimidating of all is the scoop and pull technique. Scoop and pull. Scoop and pull. Yeah. That's, and as this and as this language makes its way into the rules for the NFL, that's how you can tell they they are literally just making it up as they go because these aren't normal. These aren't phrases that have ever been used in football before. Stuffing, intimidating acts. Stuffing the passer into the ground. Exactly. That that's not a. It's not in rule books. Stuffing the passer into the ground. That's not in rule books. That's not in nomenclature or language in football literature. And it never has been. It's never been in coaching. But now it is. And that's how you can tell that they're making this up as they go along. And it's a dangerous precedent to set that any time in the NFL that there is an unpopular call, incorrect or correct, on the field the day of, that the NFL can turn around and say, no, they had it right. And we're just going to whip up some phrase or some bit of language that proved that we were wrong all along and God forbid that they should empower the teams or the fans or the players or anybody involved like the NBA has done such a good job doing. My God, what what is, what is football turning into? And Vikings fans who are saying, oh, it's the whiny Packers fans that made it happen. Well, maybe it was the Vikings fans all last year who said, we injured Aaron Rodgers. And the NFL said, oh, we can't have that. What an awful group of people. What an awful fan base to brag about something like that. We got to get rid of that. I'm kidding, of course. No Wisco Sports Show tomorrow. I on the Eagles will be right here on WKTY from 5 to 6 with Coach Mike Schmidt, Dave, and Scrady. Same time, same place on Thursday. I'll talk to you then.